darkly splendid abodes. The official podcast of Toronto Philippe. Exploring, if you will, practical philosophy. From science and the workings of the mind to spirituality, esotericism, and magic. Stooping down, dipping my wings, I came into the darkly splendid abodes. Patricia Crowther is hailed as one of the mothers of modern witchcraft. Initiated by Gerald Gardner and taking the craft name of Thelema, she went on to be a key promoter of Wicca and defender of the practice of witchcraft. We'll learn more about this icon as Rosemary Stalik and I resume our study of women of the occult. Let's go and join Pat Crowther again. She's going to show us an occultist ceremony. She's outside. Let's have a look at this. I invoke thee and call upon thee, O mighty mother of us all, bringer of all fruitfulness, by seed and root, by stem and bud, by leaf and flower and fruit, by life and love, do we invoke thee. Holiest receiver, deign to bless and to consecrate this wine of life. So mote it be. So mote it be. To the old ones, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. From me to thee, so mote it be. To the old ones, merry meet, and merry part, and merry meet again. Well, here we go. Right, we're back. That was Patricia uh, blessing the wine. I don't suppose you have anything to say about that, really, Michael, do you? Uh, I'm a bit horrified by that. You are a bit horrified about that. We'll take some more calls. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, <laughs> Patricia Crowther going on to the James Whale show. Uh, James Whale, that's not James Whale. I should warn listeners, this is not James Whale, the genius who gave us not only Frankenstein, but more importantly, The Bride of Frankenstein, which is one of the greatest movies of all time. No, this is James Whale, the uh, radio show host in England. With this particular clip being taken from a series of interviews that happened in the 1980s Mm -hmm. with Patricia Crother. Yeah, not to basically we've got the uh, satanic panic period going mm, on. So correct, yes. In full steam. Well, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. Welcome back, Rosemary. Thank you for having me again. It's good to have you return from your journeys abroad. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's been a bit of a hiatus for us in this series of covering women. Mm-hmm. of the occult, but it's a very auspicious return following my early to mid-September sojourn into the ancient lands of Kemet, mm-hmm. Egypt, and to be touching the current uh, directly of the ancient gods and goddesses that we revere so deeply. So it's actually quite appropriate to have uh, a segue into yet another high priestess that is connected to those sacred portals of deity Mm -hmm. and this is a priestess who is um, an avid we can say an avid uh, supporter of what is now known as wicca Uh, and i i don't know that it was when she first joined it i don't um, maybe well we are going to get into that yeah get into the details of her extremely auspicious connections back to the rebirth of modern witchcraft that is linked of course to Gerald Gardner. Mm-hmm. And England. she she calls it the craft. 
Correct. Yes. Looking forward to this. This is kind of an interesting, the big reason I'm looking forward to this is because I don't really know anything about this, uh, this priestess of ours. Uh, she's quite a stellar force of nature. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, she is one of a triad of high priestesses that we, at this time of existence, refer to as the mothers of modern witchcraft, which mm -hmm. include Eleanor Bone, Doreen Valiente, as well as Patricia Crother, and they all have connections to Gerald Gardner. For those of you that are not familiar with uh, Dr. Gerald Brousseau Gardner, he was an extremely eccentric and unique figure in the contemporary rebirth of witchcraft. Um, we won't go too much into him because we want to make sure we focus on Patricia, but he's an extremely mm. important link for Patricia to the religion as it was reborn in England after the repealing of the Witchcraft Act in 1951. So remember, when Gerald was doing his intense journey of uh, connecting to the craft of the wise, he was doing it under the umbrella of a time where it was still considered illegal mm. to practice certain arts of magic in mm. England. And it also predated the Second World War. But we'll get into those kind of things as we move on. Yeah, it's funny. I forget about that when, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm so used to thinking of things Crowleyan, all all the things about Aleister Crowley. And uh, you're, you're right. Like at that time, it was still, mm -hmm. uh, we still had those laws in place. And of course, legend is such that we at this point in history know that both Gerald Gardner and Aleister Crowley were in connection with each other. Mm -hmm. And they were, for lack of a better word, striving to manifest a, a, a magical path that involved joined forces between Thelema and the rebirth of modern witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Now, that did not come to pass. However, that was something that was in the works hmm. between their correspondences. And um, we will learn later on that uh, the future husband of Patricia Crother was an extremely a close friend of Gerald Gardner. So that's what her gateway was to his world. Mm -hmm. It's extremely fascinating. So we'll go right back to her beginnings to see the magic unfold of her uh, contributions to modern witchcraft. Is it true that she was born during a storm? Isn't that wild? <laughs> I, was gonna, I was going to bring that up because, as you know, we left off with Rosalind Norton, mm -hmm. who, of course, is also a Libra, of course. Um, <laughs> Patricia Crothers is also a Libra, uh, who was also born on the night of a storm. Well, um, to be exact, at uh, 12.30 a.m. on October 14th, 1927. Mm. So there's this sort of uh, continuing dovetailing of our topics from one figure being featured to the next, which I find really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, Patricia was born to Claire and Alfred Dawson uh, in Sheffield, which is a sort of industrialized, hardworking 
uh, part of northern England. Just like many uh, a heavy metal band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Double horns being thrown as we say that. Um, so yeah, for anyone that really wants to dive more into her life, there are some extremely inspiring YouTube videos that you can peruse. Some of the information that you will hear from me today is drawn from a 17-minute video produced by, I believe the gentleman's name was Terry Sly, if I'm not mistaken, mm. but he had some pretty excellent information. So I pretty much took point forms of his mini documentary outside of other sources of uh, research that I've been aware of with regards to Patricia since I was 21. So I've been studying her for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but to get back to her birth, as you said, like Rosaline Norton, she was born to a thunderstorm. I find it interesting that it's been raining all day once again. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, And um, the Dawsons, who are her parents, they lived next to a woman who made a living as a palm reader. She mm -hmm. was uh, clairvoyant. Her name was Madame Melba. And um, she had a very, almost like for the time, a very sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking Bold. A very bold outness with her mm. practice. She had this giant window that had the, this massive palm, a poster of a palm on it facing out into the public mm. with all of this sort of like, astrological and symbolic um, magic insignia all over the hand and representing the powers of the hand as a palm reader. All the planetary and esoteric sigils, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and the Dawsons, Patricia's parents, did, uh, I don't know how they were exposed to this, but they did hear a prophecy that Madame Melba felt compelled to tell them that the daughter that they had just given birth to was going to be very famous in the future mm. and that she would have a significant impact on the public and that her life was going to be very intensely influenced by the moon to such an extent that this child herself will be a fortune teller and a clairvoyant and a seer and will have an impact mm. on the world thusly. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's always nice to have that said about you ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like, yeah, it's inspiring. I'm sure the parents were just uh, tickled. <laughs> Good, that's <laughs> great. Um, so yeah, this this child, this young Patricia, was extremely shy, very artistic, and had a penchant for dressing up as a fairy. And kind of prancing through the garden and just, you know, very high level of imagination. I'm waiting for this to diverge from Rosaline Norton. <laughs> I know. It's fascinating because their lives are very parallel. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of parallels going on. And during one sort of kids party, there's actually, there are photographs of Patricia as said fairy being sat on a crescent moon and whirled around by the children as <laughs> like sort of like the crowned fairy of the moon <laughs> at a very, very young age. You know, despite this, uh, the shyness prevailed. So her mother felt compelled to enroll Patricia into ballet, into dance class, <laughs> to try to get her out of her intensely cerebral 
shyness and in, inner state of being. Um, and uh, and what better way to do so than in the hall of the fairy king? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's the mountain king, I guess. But yeah, but <laughs> absolutely yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. Uh, but um, there was a prestigious ballet school called the Grant School of Dance. And um, Patricia was enrolled in that, and she successfully um, navigated the various initiations and grades and, and so on, and um, successfully graduated as a ballet dancer, completing all of her tests and all of mm. her initiations to the extent where she was given the lead role in a ballet performance at the Empire Theatre in Sheffield. Mm-hmm. where she got to play the starring role hmm. as a child. So um, it's kind of like therapy through, um, you know, <laughs> learn to swim by throwing the child into the deep end yeah. sort of thing. Um, but she navigated that quite successfully. And I think it was the seed that needed to be planted mm-hmm. for her future career in entertainment, which prevailed through the ages. Um, now, remember, this happened just before um, the outbreak of World War II. And when that did happen, um, all of the experience she had in theater continued forth, and she did take on the profession of theater performer. There was a uh, pantomime performance of Aladdin in which she plays something that's called a tiller girl. I'm not quite sure what that is. Oh, you remind me. I wanted to look that up. <laughs> I don't know what that is. The, the bottom line is her career in, in theater was continuous um, and it diversified as she grew older. So not only was she dancing and performing in the um, various theaters throughout Sheffield, like the Lyceum Theater, she also went on to become a piano player. So she would do performances, musicians, roles in theater productions, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess this would have been, uh, I don't know, early 40s? Yeah. So yeah. this is now, you know, the, the Second World War is raging, um, I guess, during this time. There were a lot of matinees through the theater that were uh, serving the purpose of entertaining children. And uh, she did play piano for a lot of these things. Like one, um, she did like an audition for some head honcho at the BBC, for example. Mm. I I can't remember. His name was Barney... Colham or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really popular at the time. If you were around, uh, you would... <laughs> <laughs> right. Apparently, like he was, he was the bomb. Yeah. No, no world. Like War. Ed Sullivan of the early. 40s, I guess yeah. so. Yes. Well said. <laughs> and uh, I get he was the host of a program called. Well, well, he produced a program called "Let's Have a Go," mm. um, who was hosted by someone who referred to themselves as Wilfred Pickles. Let's have a go. That's like such a British. Uh, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> know what um, I mean? Know what I mean? <laughs> I'd like some prem. I'm sorry, I'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this went on. This went on for a while. So she was very comfortable in in theater, um, and of course, this is more her outward vocational calling. Uh, in the meantime, she had a very private 
uh, pursuit of of educating herself when it came to the ancient mythologies of of Greece, and so mm. she was very private about that. She was seeking the continuing presence of a mother figure in her life. So she found comfort in representations of the great mother and the goddess and the goddess of the moon, whose daughter she felt she was, mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I find that really enchanting. Yeah, I was listening to um, a YouTube video of, there's a bunch of these um, invocations, I think they are, mm-hmm. of uh, the various different signs of the zodiac. Oh, yes, yeah, so we'll and, get into that. Yeah. She, uh, and this is what's so great about her and her husband. Well, we're coming up to that. That's a great segue. It's around this time with this, uh, you know, Wilfred Pickles deal that she meets her future husband, Arnold Crother, who apparently he was playing as a performer a summer session at the Shanklin Isle of Wight. Now this was this man it was a magician. Yes, not not in the Crowleyan (laughs) sense of course. (laughs) He was like the sleight of hand stage performer magician. Yes, yes. He was a uh, a puppeteer, Mm -hmm. uh, a ventriloquist. A pull the rabbit out of the top hat kind of gent. Um, <laughs> One day I wish to be referred to as a pull the <laughs> rabbit out of the top hat kind what of skill. gent. What a skill. What a skill. With all due respect, though, no disrespect to the um, theater performers who are magicians out there. It does take yeah. a very cunning and clever person to be that swift. And charming. That's right. And he had his whole thing, the cape, the cane, the whole thing. And uh, he also performed for children, children's Mm -hmm. matinees. And that's where their world came together because she would be playing the piano while he's Ah, doing his thing. And then lo and behold, before you knew it, in the same place, in this particular place they were working in, they came to get to know each other better, so to speak. Would have been around 1956. Oh, wow. Around there. So... Uh, they were floating around each other's orbits. So Patricia was born in 1927, mm-hmm. Aravilgaris, and uh, she died sometime after this podcast has been recorded because she's still alive, for God's sake. She is alive. She, Yeah, well, at least I see no evidence online that she's she, still alive. Yeah. Yes. Has yet to relinquish the mortal coil. Yes, she's, <laughs> Good. and she's still as fiery as ever promoting... Mm education in relation to the craft of the wise. Now, I don't want to jinx it, of course, because when we mentioned Kenneth Anger. Oh, no. <laughs> let's, let's take this out of the law. We take this out of the law thrice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there she is having her her dalliances with her future husband. And he is he's considerably older than her. He does kind of take on... A very powerful role in her life insofar as, as I mentioned earlier, becoming the gateway through which Patricia comes to meet Gerald Gardner. Mm. Now, Gerald had a continuing museum of witchcraft operating on the Isle of Man. He was connected to his high priestess at the time, Doreen Valiente, who is responsible for uh, penning charge of the goddess, which of course also goes back to the Gospel of Aradia text Mm. that um, Charles Godfrey Lalande claims 
was given to him by a fortune teller in the Black Forest. So there are these <laughs> wild, like passing of the batons at mm. high speed from one generation to the next with this urgency that makes you feel the force of nature that mm. the craft of the wise was striving to become reborn into the consciousness of mm -hmm. the 20th century. And of course, there's that notorious legend that Gerald and his coven at the time, this is before Patricia, of course, uh, were responsible for invoking a ritual to prevent the Nazi forces from coming across mm -hmm. into England, to yeah. invade England. We touched on that a little bit when we were talking about mm -hmm. Dion Fortune and Aleister Crowley. Absolutely. And so, yes, that uh, that did happen. And some members of that coven did pass away as a result of that working. Mm. So you get the sort of like the old guard that is resurrecting the ancient pre-Christian animistic religion of the land, you know, colliding with this new fresh wave of people like mm. the Patricia Crothers and Arnold Crothers of the world and bringing the craft of the wise back into consciousness as the Witchcraft Act is repealed mm -hmm. in England. So the timing is fortuitous, very fortuitous. And uh, Gerald, he was a profound author in his own right, in setting in motion a proper educational uh, materials for people to follow the true craft. Um, but the re-kind of branding with the word Wicca mm. uh, is what separates the Gardnerian witchcraft from others that claim, well, my family has been practicing this pre-Gardner since the dawn of time, mm -hmm. you know, so you get that whole sort of battle that happened in the 60s and 70s and people trying to like vie for agency of who's more legitimate yeah. than whom and the whole sort of like that battle. Can't avoid um, it, can't avoid yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, um, but uh, Patricia was very single-minded in her mission and so there you have it, you have Arnold introducing her and by 1960, well, just before this, um, Gerald Gardner does end up personally initiating Patricia in his private cottage on the Isle of Man as high priestess mm. of Gardnerian witchcraft. And with that comes Gerald Gardner officiating the wedding or hand fasting of Arnold and Patricia. Mm -hmm. So they then ascend and rise by 1961 as the first official Gardnerian coven of Sheffield, England. Ah. So therein lies the whole sort of like... That's the crux of the... Uh... The explosion into, mm. you know, we are, we never left... And we are vocal once again. It's interesting to see this, um, as you say, this passing of the baton mm -hmm. uh, going on. We already witnessed it uh, in the form of uh, an encounter, for instance, uh, in England of uh, Lady Frida Harris and yes. Kenneth Anger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the notorious uh, mm. meeting of the minds under the umbrella of... <laughs> and browbeating of the minds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Heavily so. Yeah. Um, so it's funny to see how the Americans were kind of, what was going on, at least with the Thelemites in America. Mm -hmm. I don't know about any other groups or anything like that. Well, it's interesting because um, by this point, of course, now you've get this, 
you, you have the subsiding of the Second World War, which still has its reverberations, hence the mm-hmm. continuous paranoia around the devil and, mm. you know. The red devil. <laughs> <laughs> These are not witches. They are devil worshippers with mm. their evil connection to the hoofed and horned one. Or communists, if that doesn't work. Well, yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> um, so you see that ambiance, or I would rather say miasma, to be honest, mm-hmm. permeating um, the legitimate, authentic, grounded voice of the occult striving to present sound, highly sophisticated, educational um, materials mm-hmm. to the public so that people are not led astray by all of these sort of like hooligans and all this tomfoolery around yeah. the subject. You know? It's interesting to see how this that same climate and atmosphere uh, came right back around, yes, probably many it. times in between even, but in that opening clip that we had taking place in the 80s. Yes, so, I mean, and that... It's why I felt that was such an important clip for us to present, mm-hmm. because now, I mean, we will backtrack a little bit, but just to touch upon that, it is the continuous path that Patricia was on ever since her initiation. And many people were initiated under Arnold as and Patricia Crother from the moment they were um, initiated by Gerald Gardner, mm. who is, of course, the profound catalyst, the profound mercurial catalyst Hmm. of the rebirth of witchcraft. Um, Now, so here we are in the 60s, and, um, you know, they are doing their thing. They are, you know, being initiated. They are finding themselves comfortably segueing into the 60s counterculture movement. Hmm. And there they are doing their natural craft of the wise, you know, promoting a return to the land and seeing the earth as our mother and as a conscious, sentient entity of sacredness that we Mm. must revere and protect. And so their presence was very resonant Mm -hmm. with the 60s. By 1961, as I mentioned, they did officially have their coven operating. And this went on to open the gateway for a series of materials that they wrote. Uh, Patricia and Arnold Crowther wrote several books together, mm-hmm. such as the wonderfully titled Lit Off the Cauldron, uh, which had like a foreword in the beginning by Dr. Leo Lewis Martello, who is a very, is a very um, mysterious man to me that I've been fascinated by over the years. He was Mm. an out gay Sicilian high priest of the um, of the sort of the strega tradition. And he was very vocal in Salem. He was one of the first to set up the Anti-Defamation League Mm. style occult movement in the US. So here's where it's starting to have like the you know, it's coming across the pond. Mm-hmm. And he was very instrumental in just breaking up misconceptions about witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Salem, of all places. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if we think back to the legacy of Salem um, and what that implies, mm-hmm. he had his work cut out for him yeah. intensely. Um, now, so this profound, wonderful Lit Off the Cauldron book is kind of like a 
Witchcraft 101 through the lens of Gardnerian witchcraft for the world to experience, you know, the eight high sacred points of the year that witches observe, uh, talking about initiations. Now, this was very, it was still kind of edgy to do this at the time because there were a lot of people thinking, you know, you've sworn secrecy to the ancient vows. Like, it's, this isn't the internet age where everyone's posting their altar, you know. Yeah. Um, this was like a grievance a lot of traditional witch, witches had with people that were more public. But how fortunate we are that we had people being public because yeah. who knows what would have happened to a lot of this Well, even wisdom. now, you know, with the internet, I mean, I want to say even now with the internet, we have uh, so much ignorance surrounding exactly. subjects. And it's almost yes. like even now because of the internet, we have, you know, it, it contributes its own massive. It's even more, it's created even more smoke and mirrors in some ways yeah. with, you know, everyone and their dog. So here they are writing all these beautiful, like, um, clear, concise manuals, everything from books on witchcraft and astrology to another book that I love the title of Witch Blood. Hmm. Um, they're just talking about their lives as the high priest and high priestess of their Sheffield coven and bringing to the world um, the teachings that Gerald Gardner brought to them. Simultaneously, also, like one of the major components of bringing the craft to North America was through Raymond Buckland. But that's a whole other world of, <laughs> of um, transference, so mm -hmm. to speak. And he was, he's also someone who was uh, an English Romani witch. Mm. So he brought <laughs> the Romani and, and uh, you know, um, Gardnerian witchcraft principles together, which is fascinating because there's a lot of legend about traditional witches in Black Fo New Forest. Is it New Forest in England? And uh, Romani people in England mm -hmm. kind of, you know, holding counsel and just hanging out and exchanging ideas. And cool. Yeah, so, um, but to backtrack, so there you have all these books being written, the educational things, the speaking. And then in 1971, so this is t like 10 years on, mm -hmm. um, Patricia and Arnold Crother write and present something uh, that gets broadcasted on the BBC radio known as A Spell of Witchcraft. And this is what you were referring to earlier mm. about um, the sort of radio presence that Patricia starts to have, mm -hmm. uh, such as the series of, of uh, astrology dealing with moving through the 12 houses of the Zodiac. And she mm. has invocations dedicated to each sign in the mm. Zodiac. You know, invocation to Aries, invocation to, you know, Taurus, yeah. invocation to Gemini and so on. Um, but in the Spell of Witchcraft broadcast, there was about, like, there were 20-minute segments, educational segments. And I think there were about 20 of them, hmm. with, with each of them having this really dramatic musical introduction. Um, but in this podcast, it was... Very much just the continuing of what they were speaking about in their written work. So the power of media, the power of the written word, the power of um, physical presence, embodiment, teaching was a very strong tool in their sort of power couple yeah, arsenal. I mean, the radio was, you know, the what we would have had for 
the equivalent to the internet at the correct. time, really. That is correct. Thing. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, like to have something like that represented in a positive way, or, yeah. you know, in a useful and intelligible way. So you have the written word uh, graduating to radio and then later graduating to television because they did mm. television. As the 1980s interview there with the mm-hmm. wonderful uh, James Whale. <laughs> um, <laughs> wonderful and scare quotes. <laughs> <laughs> he has this one sort of uh, documentary that he hosts that I would really recommend people to see and it's called the weird world of witchcraft. Mm. Uh, And he goes and interviews um, a shopkeeper in one of these occult shops in Britain at the time. And it is utterly charming. It is a riot to watch because he is so English in his (laughs) choice of words and how he conducts the interview, you know. Um, I just just find myself completely enchanted by um, these innocent and somewhat dated presentations but thank goodness they exist yeah right makes me think of some of those talk shows from the 90s where very much like that (laughs) the scandalous world of the witches dancing with the goat so you feel that it's a good thing to uh drink (laughs) people's blood yeah it's just all that sensationalism (laughs) yeah uh which you which of course is, is sheer nonsense but it had a genuine impact on very intensely devout religious people that had a lot of paranoia about the satanic panic waves Mm -hmm. going through the world. Of course, um, it's all the more reason, almost like homeopathy, that it was great that you had like the Patricias of the world speaking to counteract that kind of um, sensationalism Mm -hmm. through the media. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have somebody who's level-headedly representing it Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know if she was on the defensive as much uh in the earlier days or maybe more so especially with the uh, repealment of the uh, witch laws and the genesis of the exorcist (laughs) right well see there you go and what i find interesting too is that i would suspect that in her latter years she would grow a little more sort of feisty with this because of the decades worth of having to deal with the same statements Mm -hmm over and over again from people that are supposed to have responsible roles of leadership in relation to public relations and mm-hmm. religion. And so if you see on that James Whale show, um, that little clip that we had the intro for, at the very end, it's the deacon that's like, oh, <laughs> a priest is consecrating the, the, the chalice of wine. How horrifying. <laughs> you know, just, just kind of this sort of... Um, denigrating yeah uh energy and it's it's funny that like you say it's it's like having to deal with the same Mm -hmm. questions and the same comments constantly i was watching an interview from the 80s uh -hmm. with clive barker okay uh, i think it was today actually but uh i'm surprised he was able to stay calm and actually just keep answering in a very jovial kind of way because Mm -hmm. there was like a crowd of people and Everybody who was given a chance to ask a question and that, and it was almost like you were yeah. just getting the same question yeah, over Yeah, you're just over. waiting for that gauntlet to drop, yeah. that same and gauntlet. It's, it's like, oh, didn't you just listen to the last, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. still, you know. Well, you actually had set up a little portion where Patricia does have to deal. Now, as a precursor to this 
next soundbite that we will share with the audience. Um, do keep in mind, it is a very dated interview. There are still divisions made between what white witchcraft is and what black witchcraft is. We all understand that these are illusory divisions, but these were the kind of things that were ha uh, battled back then, this mm -hmm. sort of dichotomy battle. Are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? Well, clearly, um, a witch is a witch is a witch. How people utilize their magic is... In, in the true path of the craft, of witchcraft, is in alignment with their higher divine self. And anyone that abuses things like that, you know, there are delusions going on in that mm -hmm. person's practice. Yeah. So, and she speaks very candidly about that kind of thing to protect the sanctity of witchcraft in the public eye. Yeah, let's give that a listen we'll get stuck into it how does i mean are you a, a black witch or a white witch is there a distinction or not no they're only white witches because if you're initiated mm. you are a white witch and there's only one way to get into the craft and yeah. that is to be initiated so what what are black witches i mean the, the, these people who are supposed to be bad and evil well i don't know who they are but they're just people who use the craft use the name of the craft call themselves witches you mm. see uh, and they're, and they're nothing to do with it, really. Okay, right. Thank you, John. That's answered hopefully you, Chris. Yeah, and it's so funny there how... you go. Right, you hear that? <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> she's very feisty. I love her fire. Yeah. Um, throughout... and you can tell she's a little, you know. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. like It's just this bombardment of these, you know. Uh, why should she have to answer for something that's nothing to do with her? Absolutely, you know? it's like somebody just picking some random practice from the other side of the world and asking you to be accountable for that. It's yeah. like. I don't even know what you're talking about, yeah. you know. Um, and now keep in mind, she's got this deacon there. She's got some extremely kind of strict looking um, representative of the Christian church there who um, was like, who kind of looks like really sort of a smoke <laughs> and brimstone or whatever, fire and brimstone. And then you have James Whale, who himself is clearly suspicious of the occult and mm. kind of takes on a little bit of a cheeky approach at least but even during the interview earlier at some points of this particular 1980s interview he even like looks straight into patricia's eyes and says okay let's calm down here like <laughs> it just gets so fired up yeah yeah you know? um so it's fascinating to see her her strong-willed eloquent, elegant, autonomous presence rise to the occasion and hold her ground very strongly and mm. um, sophisticatedly, if there's such a word, <laughs> with sophistication. And she is a true high priestess in her uh, composure and presence. It's very um, profound and inspiring to watch her take on the tsunami of discrimination and misconception and just hold her ground yeah it's uh with when it comes to the craft mm -hmm. um i mean there is that distinction where we're i mean we can say wicca we can say the craft but it does seem like there's more than one thing going on so it is kind mm -hmm. of difficult to put it all under the same umbrella it seems mm -hmm. like oh absolutely i mean witchcraft has an extremely diverse and uh you know, multidimensional presence on the earth since the dawn of time in every culture, in every group of peoples. Um, it was particularly important what Gerald accomplished because, at least in England, because he helped to facilitate the rebirth of a consciousness that was in secrecy and lying 
you know, behind the and behind the forest mm-hmm. for a very long time. And um, it seemed almost prescient mm. for him to write. Uh, he wrote High Magic's Aid under a pen name, Skyer. And it was in this particular manual that he revealed some of the more secret rites, the forbidden, you know, mm. you can't speak of these things, but because he was under a, a pen name, he hid behind that to Mm. reveal and he couched it like it was fiction Mm. so this is how he got around such a gemini he was a true (laughs) gemini he really uh created bridges as a cycle pump between the old and new worlds Mm. um so it it was very powerful to have uh patricia and arnold crother continue that Mm-hmm. into not only with their own writing but then further into radio and then further into television mm-hmm. now during one of these interviews that uh was recorded for the a spell of witchcraft series in 1971 patricia speaks of a particularly deep and occult experience that she had educating people about out-of-body experiences. Mm -hmm. And she said that it happened in an extremely, in her words, an unlikely situation, in particular in her visit to the dentist, Ah. where she was put under through gas and apparently uh, was struck by, she had this, way of visiting the dentist many times so this wasn't an unusual practice but this one particular time she said that she was seized by this oppressive feeling squeezing her her cranium Mm. that was followed by this uh like an intense heavy in weight that at some point gave way that she broke through and found herself as a disembodied soul traversing Mm. the cosmos, outer Mm. space. And she could feel her consciousness. She could feel her being. She felt this incredible wave of joy overcome her. And she was just like, what is going on here? She realized she, although still alive, was not in the dentist's chair anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And this whole trance i guess this cosmic trance went on for a long time until she started hearing a voice saying you must return to your body you must Mm. and she was reluctant to but she had that classic sort of like when you i'm not certain if you've ever had experiences any out-of-body experiences oh for sure yeah um i definitely have had them Mm. myself um even from a very young age, as I've mentioned before, where I used to walk in my sleep until I was about 21. So during a meditation into my 20s, I did have that experience of when you break out of your body with an umbilical cord and you're looking down mm. on your seated body, realizing that your your body is up against the ceiling. <laughs> so I've had that experience. So when she was describing this, I'm like, I know what this is. I know what this is. <laughs> Um, eventually she did return to her body and the doctors and nurses were like, we thought we lost you. Apparently she was gone for a very long time, but it was like her intimate understanding of life beyond this conscious world that we exist in. Hmm. So I found that story really fascinating. Yeah. When she spoke of that. 
So with that, it deepened her public service role, very much as uh, Madame Melba had predicted, because she started taking on experiences where she would help people with spells. She would exercise people's homes of ghosts. Um, She would cast people's astrological charts and read their tarot. So she became like this, um, kind of like the cunning woman, you know, (laughs) the cunning woman that serves her community on a multidimensional level. I think I remember seeing something, uh, watching some of these uh, videos on her, where she had uh, past life regression. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's a good place to go back to. Mm. Um, so here they are, Patricia and Arnold Crother doing their thing. And I guess at some point during their union, she felt compelled to have some sessions with a hypnotist. Mm-hmm. And several sessions happened without anything coming to pass but at one point during one of the sessions i remember this thank you for reminding me at one of the sessions she did break through to like the 17th century it was like at 16 the year was 1670 or something like that Mm. where suddenly her voice changed under hypnosis and she had the voice of like a a crone Mm. and she was going on about um living with her hen and her cat and her frog and her duck. And Mm -hmm. she kept referring to herself as Polly, like not polyamorous. I mean, her name is Polly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just to clarify there, her name was Polly in this past Uh life. Uh, But uh, she, in this embodiment, in this state, was declaring how people would come to her as the local cunning woman. And would ask her to do services for her, spell casting, etc. And there was this one soundbite that I really enjoyed of her saying in this crone's voice, I despise these people. They just come and use me and slander me and call me a witch. But here they come again, asking for their spells. Um, she does such a good voice for that, too. <laughs> I know. So it was really uh, her beef with humanity was this um, incessant need to be helped with spells. Spells in particular that revolved around love spells. And there would be people that would come crying to her, Oh, I just, I would, I need a spell from you to bring my lover back, you know, that sort of mm. thing. And in one of the um, spells that was given through Patricia's voice, this crone declares, take the blood of a virgin and a hair from your husband's head and cook it together with some sort of stew. Mix it well, concentrating on your desire. And to the client, she declared, recite the following chant. Get thee a man, get thee a maid, mix it up well and be not afraid. This you will get, this you will eat, mix it with bread and mix it with <laughs> it sounds like the Brothers Grimm or, or like, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of uh, like, Hans Christian Andersen, you know, mm. with Hansel and Gretel going yeah. into the forest. So it's it's charming, but you can imagine what that kind of uh, program, like what kind of impact that program had on people listening. Like, mm-hmm. you see, it is the work yeah. of the devil. You see, <laughs> you know. 
I was listening to uh, an interview with a gentleman who was, uh, I think he ended up being kind of, he didn't like to call himself the head of the the craft or whatever, because mm-hmm. I guess the craft doesn't seem to be structured that way. It's well, you know, really... var- various incarnations of witchcraft, whether they be traditional, whatever that, Whatever somebody identifies as people self self initiating, that's also something that evolves with uh, the sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, before that, of course, but that became a conscious thing for people that they had no idea about. Um, but within the craft, it is very much like witchcraft is like it attracts a herd of cats. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has complete respect for each other's autonomy everyone is their own agent and has a direct pipeline to source mm-hmm. we are the embodiments of the divine we are the microcosm of the macrocosm etc mm-hmm. so there is a very strong urge to uh, lead experiences in an egalitarian manner mm-hmm. there are some people that are more traditional with some hierarchies like when you can become a neophyte then graduate up to uh, an initiated witch and then go up to priestess and then further on into the higher degrees as Wicca has, uh, first, second, and third degree. But not all traditions operate the same. You have an amazing book by Margot Adler that I recommend people read if they have not read it called Drawing Down the Moon. Mm. Um, I read that book when I was 21 and it has an absolutely fascinating uh, cross-section of occult traditions and paths and Mm. um, ways of leading one's witchy life. Mm -hmm. Um, Margot Adler herself, who I met, uh, was a profound high priestess. She was the daughter of the famous, uh, granddaughter of the famous psychologist. I'm sidetracking here, but her book... Uh, really does show the diversity of witchcraft and how it manifested in the 20th century. So I could see somebody, this individual you're speaking of, be being reluctant to identify mm. as a... It's funny because yeah. it does sound... It's amazing to me that uh, there's there can be some animosity between mm-hmm. uh, Wiccans and Thelemites. I don't think there's animosity from Thelemites. There might be snobbery because Thelemites are certainly capable of being snobs, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, because it just seems like there's a lot of that, uh, yeah, that individuality and, mm-hmm. and the respect for the individual path mm-hmm. and that sort of thing going on. Yeah, well, this is why there's so much emphasis placed on like the Patricia Carruthers of the world that stand up and present sound educational options for yeah. folks to do their own research and to, you know, seek out what path is sound for their own yeah. evolution spiritually. I mean, there's even a quote from Patricia that uh, that stuck out to me mm-hmm. and sounds so, you know, resonant with uh, like the Book of the Law, for mm-hmm. instance, and that sort of thing, which is, we must not forget in the New Age, the ruler of Aquarius is none other than the star goddess, whose white hand even now beckons the children of the earth to become children of the stars. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. So you see the, you know, occult paths are merely divided in a, in an illusory way by mm-hmm. semantics. For love's sake, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, here we are, 
70s are unfolding. And then on the 1st of May, 1974, sadly, Patricia loses Arnold Crother because mm-hmm. he passes away. And she naturally would have an, a very deep level of grief and and uh, carrying an intense amount of responsibility for the Sheffield Coven. Uh, but she forged forward. Mm-hmm. She continued the work of uh, herself and Arnold uh, for the betterment of humanity. She continued touring the country. Uh, she continued doing various television and radio interviews, um, like that infamous James Whale uh, 1980s <laughs> clip that we got to see. Um, and then when she hit 70 during one of her deep meditations with her magical group, she received like a, a, a sort of message from the cosmos sort of thing uh, where she heard a voice saying that it was time for her to identify herself as the grandmother of modern of the modern craft of the wise. Mm. So it's mm. moving into the crondom now, mm. you know, with her with her teachings. And she unto this day continues this path of teaching. Uh, she was as well as uh, Doreen Valiente and Eleanor Bone recognized for their contributions as founding members of the modern rebirth of witchcraft, mm-hmm. at least in Europe. And um, in, I think, 2014, there was a, an official creation of the Doreen Valiente Foundation, uh, basically like a museum of education of sorts mm-hmm. in order to document this profound a series of uh, achievements in the, you know, after the 20th century with these um, pioneering voices mm-hmm. of the ancient craft of the wise. Yeah, I think it was uh, the the person I was referring to before, uh, the gentleman, was actually, it was an interview with him and he was, Dorothy had willed her oh, possessions right. to him okay. to be the founder, and which he ended up, she basically told him, I know you'll be, you'll do what's right Mm -hmm. with this material. And the material was uh, all kinds of really important kind of artifacts. Oh, yes. Like artifacts that were used in rituals when Mm -hmm. Doreen was ritualing with Gerald. Yeah. There was some of Gerald Gardner's, Mm -hmm. um, in fact, uh, an early book of shadows, I think. That's correct. Yes. And uh, there was a, I think, I think it was a knife, he said, or a Athame or whatnot that yeah. was that originally belonged to Alistair Crowley. Oh no way! <laughs> and uh, oh. a couple of these, yeah, bun- well, actually not just a couple, but like a whole slew of stuff. Um, he had a lot of athames. He had a lot of wands, mm-hmm. all sorts of paraphernalia, mm-hmm. and of course the uh, the Museum of Witchcraft on the Isle of Man, which I would absolutely love to go visit one day. Yeah, yeah, um, that still to this day exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. And I like the fact the way he was putting it was that there was a lot of people sort of approaching him about buying some of those things. I see. And the more they would approach him about it, the more he kind of knew that, no, that's not the right thing to do. This stuff should stay together and it shouldn't be used for, you know, profit Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing. A very wise decision. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So, yeah. So that is the magic of uh, Patricia Crother. She continues to be quite an inspirational figurehead for those seeking 
the wisdom of ancient times. Yeah, still and with us to this day. It'd be yes. nice to see if she's, uh, you know, still able to keep active and that sort of thing. I mean, she's got to be about, not, must have just turned 96, I suppose. Oh, really? Yeah, so. She definitely can be seen as an official elder of the of the teachings, mm-hmm. carrying forth the tradition as, as it came to be um, reborn, I guess. Mm-hmm. It never did leave. These are ancient, ancient paths, traditions, rites, as you know, connected to the sacred uh, mysteries that humanity has been observing since its presence on this planet and its grappling with the ancient portals of of our uh, magical existence, mm-hmm. um, which brings me full circle back to Egypt. So when I when I think of like the Gerald Gardners, the Patricias, the Doreen Valientes, et cetera, et cetera, and their deep dive into the mysteries, it always goes back to the same magical themes that we see through many occult traditions. What is the mystery of our existence here? What is our connection to the macrocosm? What lies beyond the door of death? Mm-hmm. What lies behind us in past lives? Where is the heart of the sacred and also the seeking of truth and the very deep sacred truth of love being the foundation of all of existence Mm -hmm. so you see these themes and like everything from egypt to the western esoteric tradition to i mean just plug in said tradition and i'm sure there will be Mm -hmm. threads that come up yeah, it's of, just of, that, of consistency. that human heritage, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there's a, uh, that same gentleman I referred to, I can't remember his name, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to do a sub, like a footnote or something. Yeah, yeah, they'll just drop in a little, uh, yeah. bing, bing, and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, he was, uh, in in the course of this interview, I think he had brought up Dorothy Valiente because of the fact that that was when he first decided to uh, honor someone mm-hmm. and have a day honoring somebody important. And so I, I suppose when they decided to do a day honoring Patricia Crowther, they ended up basically uh, doing it while she was still with us. Which and, is so great. Yeah. It's so great. So if you can get on YouTube and check it out, there's uh, – I mean there's a video of that day – for her, uh, yeah. but it's kind of just a little. Yeah, it's a little choppy and grainy. Yeah. Uh, and but it's good it, that it exists. Yeah, yeah, and it does have it does have a portion wherein Patricia herself is reciting something, and she's clearly got it completely memorized and is it's very passionate. So intense. It's it's great. It's very mm. impressive, and yeah, definitely worth uh, checking out. Yeah, so she would have had an incredibly charismatic presence in ritual given her theater background. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, too, is that not only did Patricia and Arnold write these books, but they penned new songs and new rites to contribute to the Gardnerian tradition. Mm -hmm. They contributed their own creative homage Mm -hmm. to the divine in the form of song and poetry and ritual. So... Um, it's very inspiring to yeah. to um, have that level of devotion 
to the path before you <laughs> while there, yeah. at least while one of them is still alive yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. so although we are eternal so yeah. hail to arnold still present mm-hmm. that was a big part of her recitation involved yes. the idea of reincarnation absolutely and uh the passage after death and yes that still being a form of life yes and uh She's a firecracker. I really like her. Mm-hmm. I really like her um, potent devotion is, is the word that keeps coming up. True devotion to the goddess. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, Rosemary, for joining me once again. It's good to have you back. Yes, thank you. As um, much as Egypt would like to keep you. <laughs> <laughs> I will return once again. Um, But I definitely urge anyone who's interested to follow further to hear some of those charming episodes of A Spell of Witchcraft and perhaps Mm -hmm. to navigate the various incarnations through the 12 houses of the zodiac that patricia offers yeah. i listened to the uh, aquarius one and it was, oh did you uh, yeah it's a really great little guided meditation so very powerful wonderful well thanks again and 93 93 thanks for listening find us online at torontotolima.org Watch for events on Meetup and the usual social media spots, and join us again in the darkly splendid abode.